Hello, hello, hello. What up, all my all-in mancavians? Not sure if that's a word, but I think we're going to roll with it because it sounds cool as hell. What's up, everybody? For all the new listeners out there, I'm Cole Haight. This is the All In Man Cave podcast. For all you listeners that have already listened previously, thanks for coming back and joining me. We're going to talk about two major things in the news today. To start it off, we're going to talk about some rules changes for the upcoming NFL season. We're also going to talk about the Hall of Fame inductees from a few days ago. Talk a little bit about a few of them that uh, popped my popped my ears, so to speak. Sounded pretty good, and it was good to see these players that I used to watch growing up. And then we're going to get into our next divisional recap. I promise all the recaps will be done before the season starts. And we're going to be doing that on the NFC East and or, if you would like to call it, the NFC Least. Because it is the weakest division, and it's pretty soon, later on in this episode, you're going to find out why it is. But let's get started with the news. So I was scrolling Facebook, you know, at work, just on lunch, scrolling Facebook, and I came across an article. It was the all the new rules changes for the upcoming 2021 season. I read through the article. Some of the some of the rules changes kind of are, are kind of irrelevant. But uh, three major ones that I want to point out we could talk a little bit about is, so I have three of them here. So number one, there will no longer be overtime in the preseason. Why was that ever a thing in the first place? There should never be OT in the preseason, ever. The games don't matter. The outcomes of the games don't matter. The biggest, the person who gives the most crap about the preseason are coaches and scouts. The scouts that that put their jobs on the line for these coaching staffs going after 5th, 6th, 7th round picks, maybe even some undrafted players, those are the people that need to watch the preseason from beginning of games to end of games. I've watched some of preseason games, maybe a quarter and a half if you're lucky. I will never be watching, and like I said, I believe I brought this up previously in one of my other podcasts, but I will not be watching a preseason game in the fourth quarter. It won't happen unless like, I'm watching a game with my dad and it's the Vikings against the Giants, and he's begging me to watch it. But I will not choose on my own accord to watch an entire preseason Vikings football game, nor any preseason football game, to be honest with you. And overtime, more time, more time for players to get injured. The worst thing about being a football fan, and I'm sure all of you out there that are football fans will agree with me, is having a ridiculous play in the preseason that somebody goes all out for, even though the game means nothing. Their job means something, so I'll give you that. So them thinking they can make the catch gets them hurt. It's a one-off. But overworking in the preseason, it's just to get the juices flowing. It's to get some looks, and it's for coaches to build a depth chart, and it's for scouts to see what is going to happen with the 5th, 6th, and 7th round players, possibly some undrafted ones, and if they're going to make the team or not. So let's move on to number two. So this one's probably the most interesting one to me. So off the field officials. So officials, so say the guy from New York, right? Everybody always says that. All my my friends in my friend group, they're all like, oh, the guy from New York's making this call. When when you bring a challenge on, they call into New York. They they do the, the, they look, take a look at the play. They diagnose the play. This is going to be in real time, and they're going to be able to talk to the officials. So the officials that are not on the field 
and in the box are going to be able to talk to officials and give them objective information in a bang-bang play instance. So, for instance, some of the things that they'll be able to communicate to the officials on field will be who has possession of the ball, an incomplete pass, a complete pass, what have you, either way, if it's a close play, down by contact, the boundary lines, whether you touched a pylon, touched a sideline, touched a hash mark, your feet are in, and ball spots. So if there's a clear-blown call in a ball spot, so you need a twenty, you need to get to the 25, for example, for a first down, and he didn't get to the 25, he got to the 26, but they spotted it at the 24, that's something that could be called out. So this is pretty big. So this is going to speed the game up a lot and it takes away from the worst part of football for any new orleans saints fan for sure is blown calls that are affecting games you remember the the defensive pass interference that wasn't called it was the saints rams game and uh it was a deeper part of the nfc playoffs a few years ago they had an issue with kyle rudolph's catch whether he pushed off or not and that was two years ago and then the Minnesota Miracle, which had nothing to do with that, but just bringing up the Saints in that last instance made me think of that. But so the the calls that they're these these non on field, so they're off the field officials that are not at, they're not there, they're not part of the crew on the field, they're in the boxes are going to be looking at these plays and being able to communicate whether it's a, a, a bang bang play they'll be able to radio right into the official's ear and be like okay ball spotted 26 that's it now teams can still challenge these plays so even if somebody spots it at the 24 they overturn it the, they get a call in their ear to the 26 still not a big deal the, the the team that it's affecting can still throw the red flag and challenge it so this is actually awesome. This is a pretty awesome rule change because there doesn't need to be the NFL football season and for football teams to be successful is already hard enough. The fact that the officials have the ability to change a game with one call, this should help with that. If there's still blown calls after this, I believe we have a problem with officials in general. But I think this is a pretty good it's, – it's definitely a pretty good rule change, and it's going to speed the game up. And for all of you avid sports fans out there, I know this was an issue for me growing up, whether you're dating, talking to, to random kids that you went to college with or what have you. The number one reason – well, it's a combo reason, but the number one reason that people don't like watching football is because it takes forever, there's too much stoppage, and they don't understand what's happening. With these bang-bang plays, they're going to get explanations as to what's going on. The game will be faster. It won't be as long. And we'll have more people watching football and more people getting into football, which is good. It's good for the NFL. It's it's good for the average person. And it's good for that person who really wants their wife and or husband to start watching football. Because it'll speed the game up. It'll make it it'll make it a lot more, a lot more applicable and 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 fun for non-football fans to get into football, which is great. Uh, the third f- number change is the jersey numbers. So you guys can look up all the jersey number changes. I picked out two things that were really odd to me. So I think the biggest difference for this is depending on what defense that you're running. So if you're running a 3-4 defense, the way they split out the numbers that you're allowed to wear, so... 
a defensive lineman can wear between 50 and 77 and 90 to 99, but a linebacker can wear between 1 to 59 and then 90 to 99. So if you're in a 3-4, your defensive ends are technically linebackers. And then you have two linebackers in the middle. The defensive ends are technically linebackers, which is your four. And then you have a nose tackle and two defensive tackles up front. Whereas in a 4-3, you have two defensive ends, which are technically defensive linemen, not linebackers. And then you have three linebackers in the back, two in the gap and one in the middle. One of the strong side, one of the weak side to be specific. So that's what's gonna that's what's gonna be a little bit weird. So you're gonna have players that are able to change their number based on what the team they either got drafted by or they currently play for is running as their current defensive scheme. So a 3-4 defense is going to be way different than a 4-3 defense in terms of what jersey number you can choose. Also, you have the defensive backs, which is very unspecific in this article. Defensive back, which I'm assuming is corner safety, 1-49, to you're going to have players going back, and this is like a, more of a, like a psychological impact more than an actual physical impact, but if you're growing up in your entire childhood, like peewee football, high school football, college football, and maybe possibly, or are there, maybe there's a possibility like even on another NFL team you're at a different number and we're forced to change it, there's extra effort there to keep that number. Like your number in sports is very real. I've had the, I had the same two I had two different baseball numbers and two different football numbers growing up. I did not wear a different number. I had 27 and 40, 27 for Eddie George and 40 for Mike Allstock cuz I was a fullback my entire childhood playing football. And for baseball I had 10 and 25. For Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones, who played for the Braves, because I was a Braves fan back in the day. My partly some of my family is is from Marietta, Georgia, which is uh, stones throw away from Turner Field, which is where we used to watch Atlanta games when we went to go visit them. But psychological impacts are real in sports. Like it's not there's there's no argument. Like you could play hard, you play harder, depending on your motivation. Your motivation. I have my childhood number. Let's go get this. Like I'm gonna do this. I have extra motivation now. More effort. And QBs, more on the psychological impact way, is QBs seeing rushers, possibly seeing pass rushers with single digits and or seeing single-digit defensive backs possibly jumping routes and picking them off. I feel like it's going to be a mind game for them to start, just for them to look at it. Imagine you got a 300-pound dude coming at you number nine. It's not something you're used to, whether it be insignificant to most or not. It's going to be an issue. So we'll keep an eye on. Let's see how, if the jersey numbers change anything or if it's just another weird rule where, oh, look, now you have more flexibility to wear whatever number you want, whatever your favorite number is, whatever your number is. All right, let's move on to the Hall of Fame inductee. So great Hall of Fame class this season or this year. Um, I love it. They, there's a lot of players I liked watching growing up, even though most of them were in the NFC North and they destroyed my football team. But So Calvin Johnson, number one, really good 50-50 ball catch. He's the, he's the goat of 50-50 balls. I can't even tell you how many times there's been three dudes on Calvin Johnson and he come down with the football. Regular plays. Regular plays like DeAndre Hopkins in the Hale Murray last season. Regular plays in the middle of a game. Just three people just catches it. 
there's still animosity between him and the, the Lions, number one, because the Lions were awful his entire career there. So that's the one thing. I, I could compare it to Barry Sanders. Like, Barry Sanders was amazing for them, and they were all also awful the entire time he was there. So he feels like he got no help, honestly. And the reason is they made him give his signing bonus back when he retired of $1.6 million, even though they would not allow him to go to a different team. They held his rights his rights hostage and would not allow him. They would not cut him. They would not release him and they would not trade him. So he was basically forced to retire because he did not want to play for them. They didn't want to give up the cap hit. He was probably the best receiver that year. So he deserved the money and they would not pay him. It's ridiculous. They still, to this day, he believes they still owe him money, even though they went around it with NFL rules and the way contracts work. They went around it. Funny story. I was reading an article not too long ago that they offered him $500,000 a year for th- for three years, which is basically the $1.6 million that he gave back. And he would only have to work 28 hours a year and just do some promotional stuff for the team. That was too much for him. He thought he wasn't being compensated and that they screwed him basically. So he's out. He's done. So Calvin Johnson, awesome speech from one of his former players. Great dude, awesome receiver. Glad he got in. Would definitely 100% have voted for him. Charles Woodson next. Biggest pick six threat that I've ever seen at corner. He kind of destroyed his career when he switched to safety. He was getting older, but... And then he expected to get paid as a corner when he was a safety. Didn't really work out for him. Great pick six guy. Great cover corner. He's like a hybrid. A hybrid of a cover corner and a Giroud jumper. So he's like the the old age, the decade ago Jalen Ramsey, maybe. Maybe a little less physical than Jalen Ramsey, though. But he deserved it. He deserved it 100%. Played for the Green Bay Packers for a while. You know, he moved around, went to the Raiders. I believe he played safety and a little bit of corner on the Raiders and then retired relatively early. Great dude, though. He's a great dude. Awesome when he comes on NFL on the NFL Network and talks about games, doing recaps and whatnot. Awesome dude. Definitely would have voted for Charles Woodson as well. There's no way I wouldn't. Or anybody else shouldn't either. And then the last one, obviously, Peyton Manning. So Peyton Manning's dad, awesome speech. Two-time Super Bowl champ, one with each team that he played for, the one for the Colts and one for the Broncos. Kind of the butt end of his career at the Broncos. His arm was starting to go. He was getting older, um, but their defense was solid, so there's he, he basically just had to be average enough, and their defense was one of the best defenses I've ever seen in my lifetime. But he, um, he was the king of the audible. So everything that now happens at the line of scrimmage was basically started by Peyton Manning. So anybody in my childhood, anybody in my, in my generation, the, the audible started with Peyton Manning. And it started to evolve a little bit depending on what teams were doing. But he was the one who put the he put the foundational layer down for that. And he was a great dude, a single-handedly great dude, as well as his brother. Him and Eli were great, great individuals, and they played very good football for the career that they had. I would compare so back when back when Peyton was good. It was a it was Peyton and Tom. That was the Peyton and Tom decade. If it, you were asking me and I had to compare them to two other people in a sport, I would compare them to Tiger and Phil. 
Tiger was always winning the tournaments. At like Tom Brady was winning more of the Super Bowls, but Peyton was always there. He was always hanging around. He's like a fly that you couldn't get out of your ear. That's kind of like the way Phil was in Tiger's prime. Same exact same exact thing for Peyton and, and Tom Brady. So t- the fact that Tom was there, Peyton Peyton was there. He loved having Tom there. It was great. Great atmosphere. It was good. He um, Peyton was a perfectionist, so he was pretty rough on some of his players, but all for a good cause. But I would once again, all three of these dudes picked them all out. I was like, who am I gonna who am I gonna talk about on the podcast? And these dude, th- these three dudes were highlighted instantaneously in my brain. So congrats to all three of them, and they all deserve it. All right, enough of the news. Let's get into the divisional recap. The NFC East. So first, we're gonna talk about the Washington Football Team. So everybody's talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick and whether or not he can play quarterback or not. And nobody is talking about the fact that there are so many offensive weapons on this offense. They got Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel from Ohio State. They both went to Ohio State. Curtis Samuel coming over from the Panthers. He's a little dinged up right now, but they think he's going to be ready for week one. He's on track, so without a setback, he should be ready for week one. Terry McLaurin is the most underrated wide receiver in this entire football league. I watched multiple Washington football team games last season. Uh, The bar I normally watch football games at, pretty cool atmosphere, great, great. One of the bartenders doesn't work on Sundays but comes out to watch the games on Sundays. Great Washington football team fan. I watched a decent amount of their games last year. Terry McLaurin is the most underrated wide receiver in the football and in the whole NFL right now. Hands down. There's not a more a more underrated wide receiver. His he has great hands, his speed is decent, and he runs amazing routes. What else could you ask for? They got Antonio Gibson at running back, Logan Thomas at at tight end, and then Fitzpatrick, who's just a gunslinger. They, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the opposite of every quarterback that played for that team last season. So anybody who's not high on the Washington football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick's got some skills. And I think he's underrated too. He gun, He's a bit of a gunslinger. He throws some sketchy 50-50 balls. But with Curtis Samuel being able to be faster than most of the DBs and Terry McLaurin's hands, I believe most of them will be caught and the Washington football team will succeed this season, especially on offense. But not only on offense, but also on defense. So I was just going through, looking at some random stuff from last season on on NFL Network. I looked up some some podcasts from from last season. I was just listening to some interesting things. I heard something that I didn't believe until I looked it up myself. So the Washington football team, 4-3 defense, right? Four defensive linemen. All of them are first-round picks. So you got Chase Young from Ohio State. Round one, pick two. Second second overall pick. You got Jonathan Allen from Alabama, round one, pick 17. You got Deron Payne, round one, pick 13. And then you got Montez Sweat, round one, pick 26. Unbelievable. And they're all huge. These are some giant humans. Giant humans, and they were one of the best defenses last season. They're going to be even better now. They're going to be even better now. It's almost it's almost unreal how underrated this team's going to be, and that is exactly why I'm picking them to win this division. The Washington football team will win this division. Ryan Fitzpatrick will have a few bad games, but 
their linebackers are a little weak and the quarterback consistency isn't there. I understand that. Those are their weak spots, but they can overtake that. You got a strong D line and strong D backs. You only need average linebackers. You don't need all-star linebackers. Nor could they probably afford it based on the cap this season, especially. So I got the Washington football team, 2021 record, 10 and 7. 10 and 7 for the Washington football team. All right, next, moving on, the New York football giants. So let's talk about the New York football giants and all the Joe Judge drama that has been happening for the past few weeks. So there are fights at training camp. It's crazy. He's making players do push-ups. Like, this isn't remember the Titans. Like, this is real life. Like, you can't come in here and, like, I understand, like, the punishment builds character and all of that old school th- way of thinking. But you're, in this generation, these these dudes, most of them are younger than 30, which means most of them are millennials. You know what you don't do to millennials? You don't scream at them and make them do push-ups. Trust me. It doesn't work. I'm not I'm a millennial. I will I would respond to that because I don't think I'm a typical millennial. Up for debate, obviously, from everybody listening out there and the world. But these people aren't listening. Like there were three players that retired in a week after this happened. Three players. Joe Looney was there for one week. He was there for one week and then retired. He's barely over thirty. That's insane. That's insane. Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin from the from the Buffalo Bills. Got drafted in this league. He was huge. He was over 260 pounds. Playing wide receiver. He came into the Giants, said he'd play tight end. Weighed less than he did when he came into the league. They screamed at him because he was overweight. He didn't want to deal with it. He left. Bye. He's out. Retired. And then Zach Fulton, a solid starter, was drafted by the Chiefs in, in 2014, played for the Chiefs for a little, and then went to Houston and played for Houston for a decent amount. He was a, a 12, 13-game-a-year guy, so a pretty relatively healthy dude. He just retires. He was a little over 30 as well. This is insane. Joe Judge needs to figure it out because if he loses his whole team, there's one of two things that can happen with this. Either loses this whole team and they tank and he looks like the biggest idiot of all time or he did all this and they end up being amazing and then he gets absolutely all the credit. So he's going down a slippery slope is basically what I'm saying. All right, let's talk about their defense. So they're strong at all three levels. The front three... Front four, technically. Their front four are strong. They have big-name free agents playing at the linebacker position. And their secondary is very solid, and it's very deep. It's very deep. They've got multiple, multiple high picks at safety coming in to back up just in case the starters don't play. And the corners are solid. The corners are solid. So... Their their defense is almost as strong as the as the Washington football teams. This the, the defenses are the strongest part of this entire division, to be quite honest with you. And that includes the Eagles, which we'll talk about later. But the, I I don't know. Can, 
There's multiple questions, though. Like, can Saquon Barkley stay healthy? If he can't, they're going to tank. The Giants will tank if he does not stay healthy. He's coming off the ACL. They, they say he may or may not be ready for week one, even though he said he would before. We'll see what happens. They need Saquon on this team. Daniel Jones cannot carry this team. He needs all the support he can get. Or Daniel Jones will be sitting or traded by Thanksgiving. I've made this comment on multiple, multiple podcasts already. We talked about fantasy duds, fantasy studs. We talked about players you wouldn't think were going to come out hot or not. We t- Daniel Jones is under a microscope this season. He will be absolutely 100% looked at through a microscope the entire season. And if Saquon can't play, and at least to a to an 80% to 90% capacity to his skills, it is going to be extremely hard for Daniel Jones to have success. Extremely hard. Based on what I've seen from him with turning over the football, with fumbling the football, with interceptions, with bad throws, with sacks taken. Granted, they do have technically the worst PFF-rated offensive line, which is not going to help him, but we'll see what happens week one. We'll see what happens week one with it. However, with with Saquon being healthy, add the rest of their wide receivers, and that's one dynamic team. Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. That's deep. Kenny Galladay's a little banged up. Sterling Shepard has been banged up the last few years, even though he says he's healthy now. But we'll see. They have a lot of playmakers on this team. If they can put it together, they can win the division. I don't think that they will fully put it together. So I got them getting the last wild card spot in the NFC at 9-8. and eight. The, the Giants record, 2021 record, will be 9-8. and eight. All right, let's talk about the Dallas America's football team Cowboys. I know I've said this before, not a huge Cowboys fan. Don't hate all of them, just hate most of the fans. The team is, uh, Jerry Jones is a joke. Like, I don't like how invested he is. And I understand you need to be invested as an owner, but he's, he's in places he shouldn't be in because that's what you hire people for. Dak's hurt again after he was just hurt. Just had his ankle restructurally fixed in a surgery. And now his arm's sore. Why is his arm sore? Because he overcompensated for the leg and started throwing too much. That's an easy decision not to make. You know that if you tear an ACL or you hurt a leg, your other leg is going to overcompensate while the other while the leg you hurt is weak. Which means you got a, a bigger chance of hurting that. It works the same way, bottom half to top half of your body. That leg was weak. He couldn't get into throws, so now he's arm throwing. And now he's getting into camp, and he's still arm throwing, even though his leg's good. So now that's an issue. Is he worth $40 million a year? Josh Allen just got a huge extension. $45 million a year. So I believe it's a six-year extension, over $200 million. I think it's no, over $250 million. I think it was 43 or 45 a year, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the exact number on it, but I remember reading it on my phone when it came out. I would pay Josh Allen before I'd pay Dak. And he's been in the league less, which means he's really impressed me based on last season. 
Now, I've already talked about Josh Allen, and he's similar to Mahomes where how high can you still go? Or how off, how long can you keep keep steady before you decline, at least in some fashion? Now, Dak has not proved to me that he's done enough to get $40 million a year. He hasn't done enough to get paid as much as Kirk, we're paying Kirk Cousins right now. And Kirk Cousins hasn't done enough. I would put Dak and Kirk Cousins in the same category. They have, Kirk Cousins has playoff wins. He's solid. Better stats. Not a big flashy name. A lot of people hate Kirk more than they hate Dak. But I'd put them in the same category. Besides him even doing all that, what about Zeke? So Zeke looks good in camp. He looks like he lost a lot of weight, which I don't know, could hurt or could help him depending on how he did it and what they plan on using him for. But he's got to stay healthy. And can he get back to prime Zeke? Like, is he going to be back to the 1,500, 1,600 yards a year, Zeke? Or is all you're ever going to get out of him is 900 yards and three touchdowns? And he's banged up. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Zeke's going to be huge in that, though, because their defense is horrible. Their defense is horrible. Now, they have young corners with no depth because the starting corners are already young, which means the depth is terrible. Unless you have, you've drafted all first-round corners that are amazing, which they didn't. They got no depth on their defensive line, which the starters are okay. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're decent, but injury-prone. And they got no depth at offensive line either. So you're literally hoping for every, no one to get hurt on the whole team. And then, boom, we're going to be good. We're, going, we're bringing Joe Schmo from uh, Iowa State. Bring him in. He's never played a single game, but he'll be all right to replace Tyron Smith at, at, at right tackle. Not going to happen. And their backup QBs are all awful, all of them. Garrett Gilbert, Ben DiNucci, Cooper Rush. They're all terrible. They're all terrible. The offensive line, the offensive line and defensive line starters, granted the defensive line starters are younger than the offensive line ones, but the offensive line is older. And they're all injury prone. So like if you know that your left tackle has been hurt for 2 years, why would you not put depth behind him when you know that it's been happening? Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith have been hurt the last few years. And they're getting up in age. They're in their young younger 30s. But for an offensive lineman, similar to like a running back, they take a lot of punishment, which means their their length of their careers in the NFL where they're in their prime is smaller than one of a maybe quarterback or wide receiver or corner. You know what I mean? So it's – I don't believe in the Dallas Cowboys at all. Once I, And I never do. Because I'm a hater, I'll be honest. Mostly because of the obnoxious fans that I've come across in my life and other people have come across in theirs and I've watched it. But I, I don't believe in the Cowboys. I don't think Dak has what it takes to get them over the top and their defense cannot support him. Granted, if nobody on the whole team gets hurt, their offense is pretty stacked with weapons. But I don't believe that no one the entire season can get hurt. At all. And Dak is able to carry that team even with a crappy... You cannot score 40 a game. This isn't the 1998 Vikings. With a solid defense and more weapons than you can think of. 
or or the the or the Rams with Torrey Hurl Holt, Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, and Kurt Warner, where they could put up 45 and their defense could be the worst in the league and they'll win every game. That is not the 2021 Dallas Cowboys. Therefore, the Dallas Cowboys record 2021 will be 7 and 10. 7 and 10. Possibly flex that up if nobody gets hurt all year to 9 and 8. The highest they can go 9 and 8 though. That's it. All right, let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is not a professional quarterback in the NFL. He's just not. I'm sorry. It's I'm being brutally honest. He's just not. Every All the yards that he threw for, he had multiple games over 300 yards. They were getting destroyed in those games. Destroyed. There was all garbage time, which is similar to Dak last season when he was about to set records before he got hurt for passing yards. That's because they were down by three touchdowns in all of those games in the third quarter. Of course, they're gonna be. They're gonna play. They ain't gonna play press coverage on you now, so they, you could just pick them apart all game. Similar to Jalen Hurts, six touchdowns, four interceptions does not impress me, and a one and four record. That does not impress me. I understand you came in under weird circumstances with Carson Wentz, and there's probably some weird stuff going on in that organization, but I, I don't believe in the in the Philadelphia Eagles, nor do I believe in Jalen Hurts being a solid. Spot quarterback. Don't get me wrong. If I had the opportunity, I'd probably pick him up in fantasy. He's probably going to put up a decent amount of fantasy points because they're going to be down in almost every game this season, especially within the division. And he's going to run for a lot as well. So I would definitely advise anybody out there to pick Jalen Hurts up in a in a fantasy league. But in no, that ain't happening. The O line is extremely banged up going into camp, and it's probably going to be through camp based on what I'm seeing in the on the blogs that I'm reading. Both their starting guards and their left tackle are injured right now, and they don't believe they're going to play at least one snap in the preseason. Both of them are even questionable based on what the what the coaches are saying about their recoveries. Both of them may not even start week one, so now we have depth issues already on the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, and now. You're going to have, granted, this might be better for them because the depth players might get more snaps in the preseason. So they might be, they might, this might actually work out for them in the short term, not in the long term. But we'll see. We'll take an eye. We'll keep an eye on it. But look at their coach. Nick Sirianni is a weird guy. I listened to a few of his because I've seen all these people talking online via via social media about how weird Nick Sirianni is. I didn't actually physically see any of this weird stuff happen. Like I wanted to watch it live, like look at his news conferences and see what it what he was about. This guy's this guy's a little bit weird, a little bit weird, and he wasn't really a a coach that was given a lot of kudos in Indianapolis where he was an offensive coordinator, but. He talked about that whole rock, paper, scissors, trying to identify if players are, are competitive or not and whether they're good for the team. That has nothing to do with anything. I could be competitive in rock, paper, scissors and then be a terrible football player. I, that does, that doesn't, I don't get that connection. I get You're reaching if you're talking about that. You're reaching far. You need a ladder you're reaching so far. And then we're talking about he's opposed to negativity on his team. Went on talking 20 minutes about he's opposed to negativity anywhere. Who isn't? Why did you talk 20 minutes to the NFL media about why you're opposed to negativity? That's something, number one, if you're talking about your own team, keep that in-house. Number two, 
Why did you waste 20 minutes talking about it? That's an uh, that's like the understood you of the NFL. Of course you don't want negativity on your football team. It drags everybody down. Nobody wants negativity in their lives, yet it's real, and it's going to happen. So how are you going to fix it? Talk about it for another 20 minutes on another interview? No. Or some sort of press conference? No. N- no. It's absolutely wild how he stumbled over his words 6,000 times and his, at his opening press conference for when he was hired. He was saying things I couldn't even understand what he was talking about and like the midway point. So I just turned it off for a while and had to go back because I was so lost. He was talking about it, stumbling over his words, repeating himself, saying the same thing. He was basically using synonymous words to describe the same thing for, t- for 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. That team already is struggling from a defensive and from an offensive perspective. Nick Sirianni is going to tank them. Nick Sirianni is going to tank them. And for that reason, I have the Philadelphia Eagles 2021 record being 4 and 13. That is correct, 4 and 13. All right guys, another divisional recap in the books. We will be continuing with the recaps later this week. Will I will be getting Tyler, my buddy Tyler, back on. We're going to do another MLB podcast for all you baseball fans out there before the football season gets going because before you know it, it's going to be October, which means it's going to be baseball playoffs. And we're definitely going to get Tyler back on. It was awesome having him, so it would be awesome to have him back on. We'll talk some baseball. We'll get all the NFC recaps done by, the, by week one. Sorry it took so long, but we're going to get them all in there. Um, thank you guys for listening. For all you new listeners, whether you be listening on iHeartRadio or Spotify, thank you so much. Please leave a comment or a review on my Facebook page for now until I make the Instagram post for the All In Man Cave podcast. But I will be having a lot more stuff for you guys coming out, especially when football season starts. Going to come out with some new segments, uh, hopefully getting into either daily or every other day podcasts. Get everybody ready fantasy-wise, statistics-wise, injury-wise, and do some projections depending on trades or whatever have you for the NFL season. So really hoping to get this going. Uh, You guys have been amazing. It's been awesome talking to you guys. And like I always say after every podcast, have a wonderful rest of your day and peace.